Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 129 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today's guest is Bretton Putter. Brett is a thought leader and opinion former in the increasingly important area of business culture. Brett is the founder and CEO of Culture Gene, a company culture consultancy working with high-growth, scale-up companies. Brett interviews founders and CEOs of successful high-growth startups to better understand how they define, develop, and implement their company's culture. He publishes interviews on the Startup Hierarchy of Needs blog and speaks and runs workshops on the subject of company culture. Brett is also an investor and advisor in a number of high-growth startups, so he puts his money where his mouth is. Prior to founding Culture Gene, Brett spent 16 years as a managing partner of a leading executive search firm where he successfully completed CXO, VP, and director level searches for hundreds of startup and high growth companies in the UK, US, and across EMEA. He has interviewed more than 5,000 senior executives over the past 16 years, and he shares a lot of that knowledge and experience in his new book, Own Your Culture, How to Define, Embed, and Manage Your Company Culture, which we'll talk a lot about in this podcast. So as you probably have heard already by this uh, intro, that uh, this is going to be a very culture-focused discussion, which is, again, an extremely important topic for everything that we're going through right now. Uh, We've had an opportunity to set the reset button on a lot of company cultures and guests like this can help you make the most out of that opportunity. So with that, I'm going to shut up, get out of the way, let that stinger play and let you get into this outstanding interview with Brett Putter. Brett, thanks for being with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's really great to be on the show. Oh, man, I'm going to tell you right now, like, uh, I get excited about a lot of guests. That's just how I am. That's, I love doing this show. I get excited by my guests, uh, especially when I see folks who, uh, who who have done a lot of stuff in the, the leadership, cultural development uh, type of space. And I am giddy over here right now because getting to know you and your work and the things that you've done, like, uh, I don't know. To me, you're kind of a rock star in this space. So again, I love having you on the show here, and uh, I'm really excited to hear your answer uh, to that first question I ask all my guests. When you hear the phrase "burden of command," what does that mean to you? Yeah. So this is this. I think if you'd asked me that question 19 months ago, you'd get a totally different answer. Probably even 12 months ago, you get a totally different answer. But now that we're 18 months into this um, pandemic, the burden of command now has um, so much more weight and so much more, uh, I don't know, it's just the burden of command now is about actually making sure that your people are, you know, not just can do their job but are okay they 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 are mentally fine they you know from you know, there's so there's so much more to that phrase now with uh, with where we got to in this pandemic so yeah the burden of command to me just says you know as a ceo of a company i've just got to raise my game so much more i took so much for granted when we had an office and now i need to really really step it up 
Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree a hundred percent with that. I think I, I like that distinction because, you know, like you said, with, with the pandemic and, and people not necessarily being able to have that kind of human connection, uh, that they were so used to, you know, the, the game really has changed over the past year and a half. And, um, you know, we're starting to see kind of this, I, I don't know how it is on, on your side of the pond over there, but at least here in the States, we're starting to see this kind of like almost like whiplash movement where we went through this transition period and now a lot of organizations are kind of expecting us to just go boom, right back where we were uh, in March of 2020. And it's just not working out so well, right? Yeah, it's not going to work out well. And this is uh, a lot of leaders have their heads in the sand about this. Um, a lot of leaders are, are are thinking that they can lead in the same way and that they can force their people to now behave in the same way. And unfortunately for them, the remote work cat is out of the bag. Um, there is a, you know, people realize that they there is more to life and they, you know, if you don't build a, a hybrid culture or a remote work culture that respects the people who are working remotely or want to work remotely, then you're ultimately going to lose your people. And that's the, this, is, this is sort of this new, we're going into a new paradigm shift in terms of leadership that most leaders that I talk to don't really understand. And, and I think it's, I think it's one of those things where it's, it's such a wide shift from where we used to be and how we used to operate. And, and it's almost understandable as to, to why they don't understand how to operate in this night, uh, this new culture. But it's also almost unforgivable that over the last year and a half, they failed to kind of close that gap. Would you agree? I would, I would agree, but I would, I would, I think um, in the last year and a half, most, you know, the first three to six months were about, are we going to survive? And then, then maybe the next six months were about, okay, how do we stabilize? And, and, and those are sort of, really basic fundamentals where you're not thinking about the broader picture. And I think most of the leaders over the last six months are probably to blame for not thinking like this, not thinking about, okay, we've stabilized now. This isn't this, you know, I, I didn't expect things to go back to the way they were after a year because a year, a year of work is enough for people to learn a new way of, 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 of understanding about work and what work means. So for leaders not to have thought about this and adapted to this over the last six months, I would say, I would agree with you is really quite um, unforgivable. That being said, we're dealing with a really complicated element here. Culture is this invisible subconscious intangible thing. And, you know, if you, if you say to a leader, go and sort out your finances, it's quite easy, all things being relative to go and sort out your finances or improve sales. You've got, you know, there's data, there's, but culture is that nobody owns culture. Nobody under very few people, sorry, understand culture. So it is understandable that, that leaders are struggling with this. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's, let's uh, kind of circle back there. Cause as I mentioned, I mentioned some of the stuff in the pre-roll bio, uh, but as I mentioned kind of in the lead up, you know, you have done a lot of work in culture with organizations. You've written a couple of books, uh, culture decks decoded. Um, and, uh, what was the other one? Own your culture, uh, how to define embed and manage your company culture. And it seems like this has really just been kind of a, like a, a passion of yours for quite a while now. So I guess my question is like, what's your origin story? How did you get so passionate about culture? Yeah, so I was um, I was really quite fortunate. About five years ago, I was five well, five years ago. I was running running an executive search firm, and um, we helped helped U.S. companies go to go to market in Europe and the U.K. And we helped U.K. and European companies go to market in the U.S. And so we placed CEOs or VPs or COOs of of these companies. And I was lucky enough to work with three companies almost in a row, where the leaders had a very clear understanding of their culture. And I was asked to find candidates that had the right skills and experience, which is the typical role, but also candidates that matched the values of the company. 
And that's where all of a sudden I realized, gosh, this is much harder. But also once we got to the interview process, it was like, wow, you know, you can just see the right candidate. It's like, it's like they've been dancing tango for 10 years. And then when the, when the successful candidate was employed, they made such an impact on their business um, that it was, that's, that's where the light bulb moment happened, happened for me. And then I, I realized, I realized that I knew very little about culture. And so I, I just decided there is something here that is, it feels like a superpower. What I've seen, it feels like just so different. Can I understand it? And I then went on this journey of understanding and I, I interviewed. So for the, the, the book, the second book you mentioned, own your culture. I interviewed just over 50 CEOs, ready to understand what they do in the trenches. It's a tactical book. How do we get out of the trenches? You know, it's, it's, it's a very actionable, this is what, you know, if you want to work out how to um, embed your culture, this is what these eight companies do to embed their culture. You can learn from it. And so, but the interesting thing about that book is I had to speak to over 500 companies to be able to interview 50 because the 500 that I was in, that I was referred to had superficially developed their culture, but had not embedded and reinforced and managed their culture. And so I realized in these interview process, I realized, you know, this is the, you know, if I can, if, if I can really boil this down, then, then, then I almost have this magic formula. I can open the black box of company culture. And so that's my passion, my, you know, until the day I die, I will do this and I will just explore this and understand this. I spend 25% of my time just speaking to companies about their culture, learning about culture, because it's, it's this, it's this huge beast of a thing that, that I'm trying to, to understand and help other people understand. And, you know, I'm very fortunate to have found my passion. That's, that's really, you know, I, I, I'm grateful to the universe for giving me this opportunity. Yeah, no, and, and I think we're lucky that you found your passion too, because the work you're doing, as you mentioned, a lot of organizations really don't don't get beyond that surface level of their culture. They they you know they maybe come up with their their culture statement or their core values, and then they put them on the wall, and then they move on to the next project, and that's about as far as they get, right? Exactly, and this is so so the the interesting thing about this is most most leaders that I interviewed I could talk to them somewhat about their values and mission and or vision and then maybe they were doing an employee of the month initiative and but actually as soon as I got into what are you doing to embed this into the processes of your organization and ask questions like does your leadership team all have the same lens and how have you created that lens through which they view company culture? It was like crickets. You know, there, I just, there was, it was like, I would, I would get us, well, we haven't got there yet was often the answer. And so, yeah, you, you're spot on. It's, it's this, for me, it's, it's the, you know, the, it's a superpower. Company culture, if you look at the companies that have scaled globally successfully, there isn't a single one of those companies that hasn't invested early and, in, and intensively in their culture, you know, from Airbnb to Facebook to Google. Facebook may have lost their way, but Google um, to, you know, the, the Zappos, the, the, the list goes on and on and on. But they invested early and intensively in defining and embedding their culture. Well, you know, and, and I like what you said there just real quick about Facebook, right, is, you know, they may have lost their way. Uh, that's that's okay, right? I mean, you're you're going. Your culture is is going to wander a little bit. What really matters is that you recognize that you've lost your way and come back to true, right? Yeah, I think I think that I think the thing about coming back to true is it really depends on how quickly you're growing and what true is was might be. So, you know, the growth that Facebook went through it's it's really really tough to to retain that original true culture but i think that that the where things got all hazy is when zuckerberg used uh, politics as i see it and used elements of politics to to you know 
to the detriment of the broader population and the advantage of his business. You know, whether you agree or disagree with me, I think that's that's where you know the people you employ and you tell them these are our values, this is what we stand for, and then you demonstrate behaviors that go against that. That's quite hard for them to swallow. It's really hard for them to 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 digest, and it ultimately means that that they may leave. Facebook is such a powerful brand and such a has so much interesting data to play with and there's so much interesting stuff happening there. So you may ultimately get people working there to get the the logo on their CV to go to the next place. But you know, there there've been lots of examples recently of, of people who are who who leave because they just do not accept um, the way the business is run. Yeah, well, I mean, I, and I think there's at least in the U.S. there's no greater example of what you're saying there um, to me than than the company Chick Fil A. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of people, you know, I mean, we can talk about their uh, political views and the things that they've donated to, um, you know, as much as we want. But when we look at the business, this piece that you're talking about here is is critical because Chick Fil A has their culture. Uh, in the organization, you know what it's going to be, and I read somewhere that they have one of the the lowest uh, turnover rates in fast food, and the people who do leave, like you just said, they leave, they don't get fired because you go in and if you you either fit the culture or you don't, and it's such a strong culture, you stick out like a sore thumb if you don't. And I think that's some of what you're, you know, kind of what you're getting at here too is, is when you have a strong culture, people are going to know whether or not they fit into that organization. They're not going to be comfortable trying to be a, a square peg in a round hole, right? Yeah, exactly. You're spot on there. The, the thing about strong functional cultures is if they're done well, they are um, just like they're, they're magnetic. So, um, or they behave like a magnet. So they are they are both in powerfully attractive, but also powerfully repulsive. So that means that, you know, if, if, if you have the values that they, that, 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 that match and you match with the vision and the mission of the organization, you, you, you're going to want to work there, seriously. But also, the system will spit you out. It will repel you because you've, you know, it, it's, it's, you're at the wrong end of that magnetic. You're at the north of the magnetic, and then it's a north and a north. So, so yeah, it, it's, it, it, culture has the potential to be incredibly powerful. Um, if you look at Reed, um, Reed Hastings, you know, he posted the Netflix culture deck in 22... 2009 and that's been read over 20 million times there are 20 million people who could potentially be an employee but they really understand having read that document they will really understand what the netflix culture is all about yeah yeah no i like that well now let me ask you this because we, we've mentioned it a couple of times about how complicated and how nuanced culture is have you been able to really come up with a, a good definition of culture like if somebody is just starting their organization and they come to you and they say hey, brett what is culture how would you answer that question it's not um it's not my definition um but it's a definition that i like um so culture forms when decisions that are made prove to be successful and the thinking that went into those decisions becomes embedded into the way we do things around here so ultimately, culture is the way we do things around here. But it's understood that as we learn and grow and develop, we make decisions, we learn from those decisions, which allows you to make different decisions, which allows your culture, your culture will adapt. So when you are 20 people um, and you're all close and you know everybody, it feels like a family. When you're 200, that's no longer the same culture. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really the, the, the understanding that you will learn and adapt and your culture will learn and adapt. The important thing is that you actually take control of your culture, that you treat it like an asset and own your culture. 
I I love that, especially that asset part because you know it's it's so. At least in my experiences, that part is so true, right? It's like like again, a lot of organizations treat culture as as a thing that they they have to do. It's something that they're expected to to define in some way, shape, or form, versus something that is kind of a living, breathing um, organism, if you will. And and it needs to be nurtured, and it's going to grow, and it's going to have growing pains and all those things, just like anything else, right? Yeah, definitely. But I do think that you need to, in order to take control of your culture, you've got to define your mission and vision, and you've got to define your values. And what the mistake that most companies make is they define their values and they stop there. So they say, you know, our value is resilience. But resilience is, is you know, that what does that mean to who? Mm-hmm. The problem with human beings is we interpret for ourselves first, and then we might interpret for the company if the company's lucky. But, but the best companies, the companies with strong functional cultures, they, def- they define what resilience means. So resilience means these four things to us. Honesty means candid and open communication. It means, you know, so, so you've got to define what the values and mission and vision are, but you've got to define what the values mean to the organization and how we demonstrate those in action. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, and that's a great segue because, you know, looking at, at Culture Gene's website, uh, I found on there you have you've kind of broken down cultural development, if you will, into uh, to three stages, right? And what you're talking about here is that stage one, the define and, and refine, and um, I like that that values, mission, and vision. Now, what I'm my question here is a lot of folks essentially think those three words, for the most part, mean the same thing, or they're they're interchangeable, and they're really not, are they? You're, yes, I don't. I don't think they're inter- interchangeable. But actually, if you if you think that your vision and your mission are the same thing, ultimately it doesn't matter. If you if you write the right statement, whether it's a vision statement or a mission statement or a purpose statement, and that works for you, that's great. But I believe that you you need all three. So you need a vision because the vision is the why. Why are we here? Why are we doing what we're doing? So the vision is the, you know, if everything were to go perfectly um, in the future, um, what could we make happen? It, it, it articulates the organization's long-term goals and aspirations. And for a vision to be in, powerful and inspiring, it needs to be compelling, meaningful, and boldly, seriously boldly ambitious. Whereas the mission statement, so your vision is the why, the mission statement, I believe, is the what. That's what we do on a daily basis for our customers, for our employees, for our community to achieve the why. So the vision is the what. Sorry, the vision is the why. The mission is the what. And then the values are the how. How we behave on a day-to-day, minute-by-minute basis to achieve our mission, which is the what, to achieve the vision, which is the why. So you've got the how. The what and the why, which is for me is, you know, those are the, the three corners of, of, of a perfect triangle. Yeah. No, again, I, I agree 100% with that. And, and I love that that's where you start. Um, and then I, I like where you go next, right? So, uh, you know, kind of finishing out stage one that agree expected behaviors uh, related to each company value. Um, and then you move into stage two, which is embed. And this is the part where, again, this is, this is my experiences. I'm curious to hear your, uh, experiences. I think this is the part where most organizations fail. They, they maybe do a pretty good job. I think most organizations actually probably do a decent job at stage one. It's at stage two, the embedding and actually living up to those. Uh, that that the values, the mission, the vision, and making them something that the organization is actually run by. Uh, would you agree with that? Completely. You, you're spot on. You're spot on here, Earl. This is this is not defining what the values mean is the first mistake companies make, and then not embedding is the second mistake companies make. And so, what what I do with my clients is. We, 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 the first place you have to embed is the leadership team. 
So we will, we will make sure that the CEO, the VPs, the COO, the president, whoever it is, all have the same culture leadership framework. And they all view culture exactly the same way. And they lead the organization through the culture framework. Because if you're not, if, if, if one leader is going left and the other leader is going right, then it's pointless. Nobody's going to go anywhere. So for the first thing we do is we embed it into the leadership and we use our culture leadership framework. Then we embed it into the processes of the organization. So hiring process, partnership process, sales process, customer success process. And we, and we, we break those processes down and weave the values, behaviors, and mission and vision into each step. And then we look at the functions and then we look at the initiatives. So, so are you, how are you rewarding and recognizing? What are you measuring and paying attention to? How are you hiring, firing, uh, promoting, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a very structured way of creating habitual behaviors inside an organization and ultimately leaving a system that you can manage so that you can manage the culture in the organization. Mm. No, I like that. I like that. And again, I like starting with the leadership teams because, you know, they're the ones that have to go out and, and model that behavior. You know, you can't come up with your your culture and, and, and say, for instance, that we're going to be uh, a, an open culture. We're going to respect all races, sexes, religions, do all of those things, and then have somebody on your leadership team being the person going out there, uh, being misogynistic, telling racial jokes on the floor, doing things like that, because that just basically says to everybody that if your if your leadership team isn't pushing those culture, uh, pushing those the mission and the values, not living up to those, that essentially this isn't actually what the company believes, right? Well, exactly. So you have that disconnect, and this happens every day in most companies. So the leadership team say X and they behave in Y. So they create this disconnect between what, you know, the, the, so if, let's take a step back. Um, I, in, in my, in my uh, not so shining uh, um, re- relationship history, I had two incredibly jealous partners. Um, and they did, those relationships didn't last very long because it was too stressful. They were looking for problems that I wasn't creating just yet, although I probably started creating them because they were looking for them. Right. Sorry. Um, but actually, the way I talk to my clients is I say, imagine you've got a team, your team is 35 people or 100 people. You have 100 jealous partners watching you, waiting for you to make these mistakes waiting for you to say something and then behave in a different way. So position yourself expecting them to be really analyzing everything you say against everything you do. Because ultimately the way you behave is what you truly value. Mm. No, I like that a lot too, because it's, 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 Almost goes to, so we've been talking about this kind of for an organizational standpoint, but right now we're talking about really the importance of, of defining your personal culture, how you uh, want to operate your mission, your values. Uh, because, you know, here's, again, my experiences. I don't want to put words into your mouth because maybe you've seen it a little bit different, but I agree with what you said. Like culture and people living up to the culture is such a rarity. It almost seems like uh, most employees expect uh, there to be this disconnect and they're looking for it like Hawkeye. But, but if you have your own personal culture and you've built that reputation where you, you're a people centric leader, you really lead with empathy. You love your team. You've shown this, uh, you've shown that you're a great person that people want to follow on those rare occasions when you do violate that culture People aren't really just kind of gathering around to rip you apart. They're actually there trying to prop you up and put you kind of back on your feet, right? Well, yeah, there's two great – you've made a great point and there's two relevant points here. The first one is exactly right. If you – you know, we're human and humans, you know, we, we, we're, we're unfortunately fallible. Um, so, yes, if we do make a mistake in a, in a strong functional culture, your team are going – okay, well, first of all, they're probably going to call you out on it and say, you know, 
Brett, you did that and, you know, that's not really along the lines of what we're expecting. But actually, if you, if you have, if you've built a team where you've evaluated the candidates, the people who want to work at your company based on how they fit your values, then you get into a situation where you are, you, you, you have an above average chance of succeeding because that values fit means that there is an alignment already. Mm-hmm. And if you then step out of those that values alignment, they will call you out on it. And likewise, if you, if they step out, you can call them out on it. So that's really, you, you know, you, you make a really good point here. That's really where there is this, this the power of, of, of being values based is the, the, people understand what's expected of you they they will call you out they will self-police they they self-manage there are so many powerful elements to this yeah and and uh, you know i tell folks it's it gives you a clarifying question right it lets you be able to sit back and ask yourself does this align with our culture does this move us closer to our mission does this x y or z and if you answer no well, then you know that don't do it. Uh, if you answer yes, well, now you know that you've got a, uh, you're at least more likely to have something successful uh, that, that fits in with the organization on your hands. And, and again, I think that's a, a an underutilized power of, of these mission statements and uh, your core values and things like that is they give you a filter for everything your organization does, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's it's a it's a filter and a if if you if you build the right that's that that strong functional culture, you actually use your values and your mission, your vision, as a a means of evaluating the decisions you're making. You know, so so the best you know the companies that do this the best are are looking at their decisions, going, how does this match with our values? How does this match with our required behaviors? And and what are we saying by making this decision? You know, by investing in this piece of technology or the software or whatever it is, um, you know, are we demonstrating that if it's for customer success, you know, are we demonstrating that customer success is important to us? What do we do? What what is this action demonstrating? And and I think I think that's a, a really you know it's 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 such an misunderstood element of company culture that leaders don't understand that when you embed you embed culture through your behaviors not through what you say love it love it so stage three uh is manage and uh you know what i like about this and and folks uh i'll have a link to to this page on here because i think this is a valuable resource uh that brett and and his folks at uh, culture gene have put together um but, you know, this one is talking about you know, the, the kind of what we talked about before, the ongoing, the, 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 the maintenance and the adaptability of a culture, right? Absolutely. So most leaders t- treat culture like a tick box exercise. Uh, we've done it. Great. Move on. Um, and actually, um, if you really want to build a, a, a lasting, sustainable culture, you've got to work on it in the same way that you have to work on the other functions in your business. And so from what we do with the leadership team, for example, is when I first come in and we define the values and the behaviors of the organization, I then ask the leadership team to score themselves on how they live the values and behaviors. And then once we've promoted these and presented them to the team, we then review, we ask the team to score their leaders on how they live those values and behaviors anonymously. So we have a baseline that the leadership thing, leadership team think. We have what their team think about them. And then we have this area of, okay, now where, where's this discrepancy? And also, how, do, how what do you have to work on? So we, we, we take it to a sort of a, a, a an int- a detail, a level of detail, because you need to do this to be able to manage it. Your leadership team are the people who are driving you as the CEO or communicating down, but your leadership team are the ones who are reinforcing it. 
And you need to teach the leadership team that they need to reinforce and model and behave in the right way so that the team learn from them. And so by, by evaluating and surveying the team about the leaders, we get it, we get it, you know, we get an honest opinion. And then we include that with engagement surveys. We, we, we include that with a bunch of other survey data that we, that we uh, run with the teams so that on a regular basis, we get a, a sense of how the leaders are driving the culture and how the culture is across the organization, not just from an employee engagement point of view. So there are a number of touch points that we pull together around this. And that's part of what we do. You know, the, the last stage, the third stage, as you mentioned, of our process is teaching the organization and the leadership team to manage company culture in the same way that they would manage sales or marketing or engineering. Mm. Yeah, I, I like I like all of that there because um... – yeah, I mean it's it's that maintenance piece, right? You 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 pull all this, put all this time, put all this effort into it, and uh, you really you really got to nurture it. I mean, I think that's that's the best thing for me here it, it, to put it is you got to nurture this thing along. And I'm really curious, and and I, I can just hear my guests wanting to ask this question as well. How often when you do those surveys? How often and, and how big, if you will, is that disconnect between what the leadership team thinks and what the employees are telling them reality is? It's invariably, I'd say 80% of the leadership team get a, get a big wake-up call. Right. Because what was happening, and, and, it's, and it's, it's a slightly unfair to, to be fair, because it's like it, it, basically what you're doing is you're you're going and saying, okay, these are the values and behaviors we expect, and and how do you live them currently? And they're not really working on conscious data, but it's really it, it's not they haven't been consciously thinking about this and sort of executing on it for a, for a, for a while. So, but it, it it sets you know leaders are optimistic and leaders are you know, optimistic is often the wrong word, but, you know, leaders think that they, 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 they do better than they do. And often their employees cannot tell them anonymously or otherwise that they don't. So this is a really great way of just saying, you know, look, this is where you need to work. This is where you need to invest. This is where you need to, to your, your team need you to do these things better. And this is what they're telling us. Yeah. And again, I don't, um, not that you said this, but I don't think it's that, you know, these leaders are necessarily trying to be deceptive. It's, it's human nature. There's this, this effect called, uh, uh, oh my goodness, the name just optimism. Uh, there's this effect called the optimism bias, which always makes us think we're doing better than we are, right? It's, it's why, you know, after we go out to lunch, we don't realize that our breath stinks because we, you know, ate an onion. We, we think our breath is fine. We, we always think we're doing good and, and it, it prevents us. It, it gives us blind spots, if you will, to those points where maybe we're not living up to those values. And, uh, so that disconnect is, you know, not always necessary because the, the leader is trying to be deceptive or they're, they're consciously trying to seem like they're doing better than they are. They, they probably legitimately 100% believe that they're doing that much better at the job than what a quote unquote impartial outside observer is doing. Now on the flip side, there's also, you know, some psychological effects that go on from uh, the employee perspective where you always think that you could do a better job. So you're going to grade them a little bit more harshly because you think that you should be in that position. Some, in some instances. So the data is a good indicator. It is, uh, it can expose some major disconnects, but uh, it's always kind of interesting to look at it from those psychological perspectives, right? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, you know, leaders are not uh, le- leaders are a human as we all are, and and you know they it's a that's often a tough job that they have to do, but actually they're in a in a in a position where. If they are, if they, if there is a big disconnect between them and their team, it's good that they know about it, 
Um, and actually what they, what they think the reality is, is often not. So this is a really good exercise in, in them understanding what the reality is. Um, but they're not, you know, they're not doing it deliberately. They're not saying, you know, they're not scoring themselves eight out of 10 because they are lying. It's just that that's what they, they, and this is, so this is why this is such a powerful exercise because actually, um, this gives them an insight into, okay, wow, you're that far off or, okay, great. You're that, you're, you're, you're spot on. This is, this is, this is great for you. Yeah. I'll tell you, I, I did a similar exercise probably about 10 years or so ago now with a group. And what was amazing to me was um, both the employee group and the manager, or the leadership team, they, they came to the same conclusion that communication was a failure. And the management team says, I really wish that the employees would communicate more and talk with us about things. And the employees said, I really wish that management would open up more and communicate more and talk to us about things. And so we had this meeting where we brought everybody together. And the, the, the thing was, you both said you wanted to communicate better. And we asked the question, why aren't you? What's keeping you from doing it if both of you want to? And that led to some really powerful discussions, like uh, some real deep discussions about why both t- both pieces felt that they couldn't talk to the other one. And, and so that's why I like that exercise, because you never know what you're going to uncover about a, a, an organization's culture just by asking the right questions, right? Yeah, and you need, you know, often in companies, there isn't that ability to cross that bridge and, 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 and connect to people to have that conversation. And, that, and this, this is what we do in the process. Yeah. So I think um, here's probably a, a burning question on everybody's mind. And I'm sure you've probably been asked this question a million times by now. Um, you know, COVID has provided this, this opportunity to really do a great culture reset pretty much globally. And I can't think of a time uh, when we've ever had this great of an opportunity, even, you know, me going back and looking through history, where we've had this much of an opportunity at a global level to really reset the way we do business. So with that in mind, what do you see, like if you could design like the perfect culture for an organization coming out of COVID and moving forward, like what would that look like to, to Brett? So it depends on, on whether you're going to go f- fully remote or hybrid. Um, but actually, either way, the, it's still the same mindset. So my advice to leaders and what I would be doing is if I was doing this right now, is I'd be studying what the best remote work companies do. Companies like GitLab, Buffer, Hotjar, Basecamp. Um, these companies have been running fully remote businesses for a long time. And the reason why it's important to study this is because you're you're now going to have remote teams or people working remotely at various times. And and if you don't build a culture around remote first work, then the people who are working remotely end up feeling like second class citizens. And they will ultimately leave your organization to go to a place where they feel and believe they can be first class citizens. And what that means is you've got to build a culture that takes into account the need to work remotely efficiently. You can't just go and say, well, they must, you know, they must do their best. You've got to, you've actually got to think about creating an experience where you, where we all experience the culture, the way we work, we have the same promotional opportunities, whether we are working remotely or whether we're working in the office or whether we're working, you know, whether we're doing, whether it's a hybrid model. So that's, that's would be my advice is go and understand what remote work companies do. Mm. No, and I think that's the, the great way to look at it because, you know, whether we like it or not, like you said at the very beginning of this, that kind of remote work genie is out of the bottle and it's not going back in. And if anything, it's going to be my prediction, it's going to be much more normalized. Uh, a lot of companies are building technologies specifically around normalizing remote work a little bit more. You know, we talk about how it's hard to replace that human element. And I think that's a limitation of technology we have right now. 
Um, I have a friend who's very deep in the VR space, and uh, she was just telling me that uh, one of the companies she works with, they're uh, really focusing on virtual reality uh, meetings where people around the world, you're going to put on your Oculus or whatever, and you're going to be in a virtual meeting space that looks just like the conference room in your office. You're going to look around and Bob's going to be sitting next to you. Jennifer's going to be sitting next to you. And, you know, these things are in the infancy and apparently there's already very realistic. And as we get better graphics and, you know, more capabilities over the next few years, you're really not going to really have that big of a difference between remote working and being physically in the conference room like we have now with just being on a kind of a cold Zoom call. Um, and so, yeah, I think the future of work is remote and it opens up a lot of possibilities for organizations. Uh, you know, talking with a few HR folks on the podcast here um, over the last few weeks, you know, a lot of organizations are pulling from talent pools where they may not have been able to before. Uh, like you do a lot of work in the UK. You said you're in Portugal now. How many people on your team uh, or in organizations you've worked with where now you may have somebody who works in Australia, Scotland, America, uh, you know, East Coast America, West Coast America, and they're working fairly seamlessly together, right? Yeah, well, there, there, there are there are amazing companies. I mean, GitLab is 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 one of the the, the GitLab were a hundred people in two thousand and sixteen, less than a hundred people in two thousand and sixteen, and they are now over 1,300, five odd years later, fully remote working in 65 countries. Mm. And so, you know, that that they're already getting it right. In other words, they're doing it without that type of technology, they're doing it out with, but as soon as that technology comes in and it's really effective, that is gonna add, you know, it's, it's, it's going to make what they do because they've built the infrastructure. They've got the documentation right. They've got the processes right. They've got the um, hiring many, the hiring process. They, 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 this is just going to accelerate what they do. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. Well, Brett, I really appreciate this conversation we've had here around culture. It's been outstanding. And, you know, we've been chatting here for going on about 45 minutes or so. Um, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to touch on that you'd like to leave listeners with? Um, no, not really. We sort of covered it. My, my, um, you know, I, I think that the, the one thing that I would sort of repeat is that, um, the, it's a leadership leader's responsibility. It's that, um, it's it's it really is a responsibility now to go out and understand um, how to develop your organization and and and, and the, the best way to do that is understand how remote work companies work. Uh, but we covered that. So no, other than that, nothing from my side. Oh well, I I, I love it, and and hopefully, um, and I don't see how they can't. But hopefully, my listeners who maybe weren't taking their culture uh, so serious or were looking to kind of up their their culture game a little bit, um, maybe they want to reach out. They want to grab some copies of your book. They maybe want to uh, work with uh, you and your organization to help develop their culture. Uh, what is a good way for them to to reach out to you and and uh, you know again get a copy of those books and maybe uh, do some work with you? So um, to find my books, they're both on Amazon. So Culture Dex Decoded and Own Your Culture um, are on Amazon. If, um, if they want to reach out to me directly, they can find me on Twitter, on LinkedIn. But actually, my email address is brett at culturegene.ai, which is culturegene dot AI. Um, and, you know, I, I love talking to people about their culture and the challenges they're experiencing and try and help where I can. So more than happy to, to have any of your listeners, listeners reach out directly. Oh, love that. Appreciate you sharing that email address. And uh, yeah, again, this has just been a really great uh, conversation. Thank you for having it with me. And thank you for spending the last 45 minutes or so with me and my guests. Oh, my pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Oh man. And listeners again, uh, 
make sure you get on there. I'm going to have some links to those uh, in the show notes, uh, links to the books, links to uh, culturegene.ai, and I'll have uh, Brett's email address in there, so you can just click on those and and, and get right to it. Um, but yeah, right now is a great time, folks. Uh, I don't think there's ever been a better time for you to reach out to somebody like Brett and uh, start working on your company culture, especially as you start exploring your reintegration strategies and, you know, Considering remote work, hybrid, however you're going to do that, um, Brett's a great resource. Make use of it. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns from me, uh, reach out at burden.command at gmail.com. That's burden.command at gmail.com. Uh, keep doing what you do. Rate, review, subscribe, share the show uh, so my great guests like Brett uh, Putter can get their uh, messages spread as far as we can possibly make it. That's the point of this podcast. We want to change the way people do business on a daily basis from leadership, culture, mental health, uh, all of these things. And that's how you can help us achieve that mission. So thank you for doing what you've done so far. And thank you for keeping that ball rolling. With that, I really appreciate everything you've done. And I look forward to speaking with you all again in the next episode. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Hour. Electric acid.